hear two contrasting stories of Welshman coaching abroad in this week's Welsh Rugby Union podcast. Later we'll hear from the Welshman in charge of Poland and the challenges of rugby at that level. But first, former Wales coach Rob Howley. Of course, he got into gambling problems coping with the death of his sister, broke world rugby rules and had to come home just before the last World Cup after 12 years helping and filling in for Warren Gatland as Wales coach. That's a well-known story and it was a sad end for a great player and coach for Wales. He's certainly been through some difficult times, but now he's back helping another Welshman, Kingsley Jones, with Canada and getting ready to face Wales this summer. Alex Bywater went to find out how things are going now, working with Canada. I thought, in terms of adding value and hopefully exchanging a bit of expertise, that if I could spend time with the main Canadian side, i.e. the Toronto Arrows, the majority of players come from Toronto, then that would certainly aid acceleration of learning and understanding what we were looking for from a, a Rugby Canada perspective. So going to Toronto and working with, you know, potentially, you know, when, when they come over now, because I'm meeting them here because I don't have to go to Canada. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Yeah. It seems to make sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, thankfully, I don't have to quarantine again because that would be the case. So uh, I'm meeting, obviously, everyone when they arrive here end of June. Basically, I worked then with Toronto Arrows and then the first three games because of the only side in Canada and travelling across borders. Toronto Arrows, in fairness to uh, Bill Webb, who is the uh, president of the Arrows, I think he adds a lot of finance into the Arrows, that basically they had camp in Atlanta. We flew to Atlanta on March the 18th. They've been in camp since. I overlooked the first three games, so... uh, yeah, I've been doing the rounds a bit, travelling, which has been a bit different. Uh, we're on Zoom probably every week over the last couple of weeks in preparation for the Thank summer you. tour. Obviously, it's Wales and England. Yeah. So, uh, looking forward to uh, that, those challenges ahead, you know. Well, that's going to be a great opportunity for the Canadian players, isn't it? 100%. There's a difference in terms of Tier 1, Tier 2 and Tier 3. It's been a long time since uh, all the players have put on uh, Rugby Canada jersey. Uh, the last time they put it on was World in Cup, Rugby was World it? Cup. You know, and I think they had a number of injuries which unfortunately didn't help their performances. And being in the pool of South Africa and New Zealand, and to a certain extent Italy, obviously they, uh, they got <coughs> well beaten by Italy. But I think Kingsley has looked upon the next couple of years in terms of looking at the succession plan similar probably to what Italy are doing at this moment in time and giving youngsters an opportunity whereas maybe you know on other years they've looked at players who have been playing in the in the French or New Zealand etc and bringing them in for the week or two weeks it was good to work and meet the, uh, the players back in November time for that three-week camp. A little bit of work done, a bit of culture, the environment, uh, and understanding what makes a good environment. And you know, those experiences, thankfully, I was experienced with uh, Warren Gap and the coaching team. You're able to sort of add value and help, you know. And just obviously, you've never coached on Zoom before, I guess, but how good was it to get back on the grass for yourself? Uh, look... 
I love being part of the game. Uh, a huge passion for it. Been fortunate to be part of many coaching teams and going to many destinations in, in in the world. And that face-to-face, that interaction, hopefully the ability to motivate and help and support players and coaches. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I think there was you know, a little bit of nervousness for myself and uh, no doubt from you know the players as well. But the one thing about Canadian rugby, having known Canadian players over here, having played with them in Cardiff, the likes of John Tate and Dan Barr, Morgan Williams, and knowing Garthry so well, he works as, uh, I think he heads up the marketing side of Rugby Canada now. Good to see friendly face, and it was just nice to coach again and be a part of a rugby environment and uh, the challenge for them or the excitement I suppose over the next couple of weeks in July to play against tier one countries and see how good you are when you have a comparison yeah and it's so weird how life works out isn't it what are you going to do when you make sure you go right at the top of the tunnel all right <laughs> well yeah uh, you know it, it's no doubt you know uh, it's going to be strange I got many good friends in Welsh rugby Unfortunately, I missed out on the opportunity of, you know, the Wales Barbarian game. Yeah. I missed out on that, which was a celebration of Warren Gatland and his, what he had given to uh, Welsh rugby. But look, it's not about me on that weekend. It's about it's about the Canadian players and pitting us ourselves against uh, one of the best sides. Well, if not the best side in the Northern Hemisphere, because of the championship they've just won, and probably knowing them inside and out really which hopefully might give us you know a little bit of an edge yeah. an edge or help yeah. help because uh, the challenge is, is trying to compete with physicality skill and speed they're the three major things you need to play international rugby and you're only as good as your competition within your country the MLR is improving over you know the last couple of years it's got you know probably a couple of levels to go to get to the level of other northern hemisphere competitions so you know the players aren't used to that intensity in terms of skills under pressure week to week like a number of the players in the northern hemisphere are so that's going to be the biggest challenge but it's a challenge that we look forward to we got another about three four weeks of the mlr the challenge is coming over from america and hopefully getting as much time as possible with those players before we play that first yeah. test match. The travelling is, you know, it's a huge challenge over there in the MLR, and probably the Canadian players are far used to travelling, mm. and then probably, you know, I was one of them moaning about travelling maybe an hour and a half or two hours, yeah. but these guys are used to travelling four or five hours on Friday before the game, and uh, they get Thanks on with it. it. In terms of their mindset, they're used to that, yeah. and... No complaints, just get on with it. And they're passionate about the game, energy and enthusiasm. So something which is going to be a challenge, but we'll overcome that. We'll have to adjust our training depending on when those players arrived and just be the best that we can be on the Saturday, you know. But going into the summer, you seem in like a really good place, which is great to see. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. I wish I'd spoken out earlier. I didn't. I suppressed my feelings put my hand up and I, I and I obviously went through the investigation as I did. Thankfully, I've come out through the other end now where I'm at peace with myself as well as my probably my sister. And I'm able to talk about those, what I'd gone through. I didn't go out for five, six, seven weeks. 
yeah. uh, for the investigation. Uh, I just put myself out, couldn't. My, the only people I spoke to was my close family, and uh, it, it was tough, toughest part. But it's a different person, resilient as much as you can be. It's okay to show emotional vulnerability. Yeah. And I'm, I'm able to do that, and uh, I wasn't able to talk about my sister at all. I never spoke to my mum about those, uh, this, any, any scenarios which happened. There's things which I didn't know about my sister because my mother, as mothers do, keep things from you. And uh, unfortunately, I, I find out in a different way, and uh, I didn't cope with that. The escapism I had was obviously through the betting, and uh, it took me to a different place. I've learned a very, very, very harsh lesson. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel able to speak about her now with your mum and, you know, your wife? Yeah, I, I, yeah I do. I haven't seen a psychologist for the period of time I did, uh, back in uh, 19 into 20. I was able to have conversations and I'd never had those conversations with my mum at all. My mum came with me to the psychologist as well and not to the psychologist meeting, but obviously in the car, etc., and we did, and obviously a huge support. And I was able to, at some point, I don't know whether it was eight, eight or nine weeks in, was able to have conversations with my mum about my sister. I never had those conversations over the last eight, nine years, you know? Yeah, I think it's something we've all learned, isn't it, over the lockdown? We've just had Mental Health Awareness Week. Yeah, well, last week, uh, yeah. yeah. Don't be afraid to share that emotional vulnerability and speak out. And I've learned that as a harsh les- lesson over the period of time. And I've always had good people around me. Those good people, um, friends, family, certainly come to the fore during that period of time, which I needed them. And uh, I did certainly need them, you know. And what sort of message, I guess, would you give to the Welsh rugby public? And you mentioned, you know, you were in MacArthur Glen and yeah. people come and yeah. talk to you. I mean, what would you say to those... Oh, for those just thank you for their support over over that period of time and uh, you know it's been I don't know how long it's been now uh, Alex but even I first went out in end of December so September October uh, November I didn't go out when I first went out there was a lot of trepidation and nervousness but those people who came up and shook my hand and Obviously, they said things which, obviously, the way they felt I was treated. I didn't go back to them in any way about the way I was treated because I put my hand up. Uh, I was at fault. And uh, the integrity and honesty, which I've almost talked about, to players and to coaches, I think I had to be true to myself. Uh, I I never wanted to apportion blame to anyone because it was me. it was my own email, wasn't it? So, yeah. You know, like, you, I can't remember some of the bets I placed. Because yeah. I wasn't thinking straight. Because it wasn't, it wasn't me. Yeah. To a point. It just goes to show that, like, what can happen to mental health support is isn't it? Yeah. Because I guess that's what people say. Like, how could he be so stupid? But I know. To use your number. I know, I know. Number but it wasn't number, you, was no, it really? No, no. But if I look back on it now, a couple of years old, one of the overriding themes was like the look in like Jenks and Robin's eyes, and it was like real concern for you. Yeah. So if you just maybe sort of talk a bit about the support, you know, Jenks is obviously someone oh, who's been with you, Bumper. All of Gats. them. All of them. Obviously, Alan was present when Julian Martin came over, and Alan's been a teacher, coach, 
mentor over the 12 years along with Warren Gatlin and, and both of them have been hugely supportive and were supportive during the investigation. It was important for me at the time that obviously you know, when the story was going to come out I needed to speak to you know, Neil Jenkins, uh, Rob McBride uh, I tried to get hold of Sean Edwards, but Sean, I think Sean decided to walk home from Kitakushi that training session. He wasn't on the bus. I spoke to Neil and Robin personally. I went to their room when we got back after the training session. And then they, obviously, uh, everyone that evening, uh, they went to the cat presentation. So yeah. I, I wasn't there. It was strange. So I had a text off uh, one of my good friends because they'd shown everyone coming off the bus for the cap presentation. And normally, I see the coaches or the coaches last, and I wasn't there. Yeah. And I had a text, where were you? You know, were you at the you know, are you okay? It just shows how some people who know you and care actually notice things. So, during the cap presentation, I was packing and everything, and Neil and Muckers came to the room and said, come on, you're coming downstairs. I didn't want to drink, I, I can imagine, but, but I felt, you know, once again, you know, we'd been so close for that period of time, uh, you know, the loyalty and needing them, and put, they, they could put my put their arm around me, and I, anyway, so I, I had a couple of beers that night with them and then t- disappeared, and I was up, and Bobby and Alan Phillips got up in the morning at 5.30, and I was out of that hotel on my own. Uh, in a rugby world cup uh, bus and then making my way home on your own but fast forward fast forward yeah, exactly. <laughs> fast forward but it must have been nice as well not only those guys the management but I know like Foxy wrote a, like a letter of support and all that but the senior yeah. guys were immense in that period they, when... yeah they were, as well as coaches the three players that I went to see and I told them face to face that was Alan Wynn John Davis and I actually I forgot about Dan Bigger and Dan came to see me uh, when I was downstairs and uh, you know I, I just welled up and he you know obviously apologised and that, that's what I, that's all I said to them because I was conscious of what was going to come out and uh, I, I told Alan Wayne and Foxy and, and Dan uh, the truth as a coach and having coached them over that time in terms of the honesty integrity that you hold I didn't want to tell them any different because they deserve to know the truth because I hold, hold those guys in such, in such respect and you know what they've achieved individually and collectively over that time you know yeah. have you been how's it been watching Wales from afar I mean I guess you probably didn't watch much of the World Cup but I guess since you know they did have a great success yeah I watched it I watched it all I watched it all, uh, you know, I suppose to put myself through that and uh, I, I think during that time, because I didn't go out, the only thing to do was to watch Rugby World Cup. It was better than watching any other TV programme, I suppose. And, like, and that's why, because I, I love the game, I'm passionate and having been part of, you know, the Rugby World Cup build-up and being part of a team up until, you know, the jo- a couple of days before we played Georgia, you know, everything which, you know, you probably... Helped to instill. He just wanted to know if you know that was going to continue. So I did watch, and I spoke to Warren Gatlin throughout the Rugby World Cup as well. I spoke to some of the physios, spoke to Alan Phillips. So I was in constant 
support. And I think also they were probably worried about me as well. And they were outstanding. And uh, Wayne Barnes was instrumental in helping me get a barrister. So Alan Phillips, through conversation, I think Wayne, Wayne rang Alan to say, look, if I wanted any help, reach out. So uh, I spoke to Barnsey and Wayne Barnes then uh, put, put me in contact with uh, David Williams, who then was enough. my barrister. Yeah, absolutely. So look, the rugby family, the fraternity around, they sort of offered my, a helping hand and support, which uh, I was absolutely grateful for, you know. Yeah, and since Wayne succeeded Warren, it was a bit of a rocky start. I mean, what's your take on how have you analysed Wales from afar? Yeah, look, I think there's always going to be a, a transition in terms of the time frame of playing and defending and the way you want to train and play. And I think that, you know, I suppose we've seen over the last four months in terms of the true Wales, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, they're so unlucky. Because through your association and, and my time with Wales, you build a lot of friendships. And I felt for the players against France... Uh, I was desperate because to win the Grand Slam and come through what they have done in the autumn, because obviously I think Wing obviously looked at the strength and depth. Uh, he gave youngsters an opportunity. We saw probably in, in Wales, in, in the Championship, probably the best team that was selected. More like the team which probably won the Grand Slam in 2019 and uh, Wayne has to take credit for giving those players that opportunity and then going into a competition and picking the best that he felt was the best 15 and and also in the autumn as well he had a couple of injuries as well which obviously doesn't help but obviously gives gives you the ability then to give youngsters an opportunity so uh, Last ten, I didn't watch. I we were playing over in uh, Toronto. We left the hotel, and it, I think it was I'd left it. And Wales were leading by twenty odd points to something. And then uh, my my uh, daughter texts me to say, "Oh, two yellow cards. Uh, Wales are hanging on." Like you know, it was disappointing because they probably deserve more. What's it like to watch? You coach them. You coach the team for twelve years. You're an ex-player, a passionate Welshman. Do you enjoy it? Are you, are you all now on the edge of your seat like a fan? Or yeah. To analyse a game, it takes three, four hours. To watch a game as a fan is for 80 minutes. And I think you're just a proud Welshman wanting Wales to win, you know. And I, I don't know any different. That's uh, probably a challenge for me. I, I'm on the other side of the fence now against Canada. And it's the first time in 12 years. So it'll be a different experience for me. First time in your life you're going to want Wales to lose. Well, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> from a works perspective, yes. <laughs> mixed emotions? Yeah, mixed emotions, yeah, of course there is. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, as a coach, you've helped along the way, along with the other coaches, to develop the players that you're playing against and trying to outfox them in, in ways, you know, and I think that there's a lot of world class players who play for Wales, and in terms of mentioning those, the attributes of physicality, size and speed and skill they're in a really good place and uh, it's just a shame isn't it about the pandemic and probably the opportunities which a number of these players have missed out on it particularly in the autumn they haven't played against Australia New Zealand or South Africa but that's coming this autumn fingers crossed you know you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast 
Praise indeed for the current Wales regime from former coach Rob Howley. And good to hear how he's bouncing back. Now another Welshman taking charge of an international team is Chris Hitt with Poland. It's not a level of rugby we often hear much about. Alex Bywater with the questions once again. Thanks for uh, having a chat. I mean, I thought it'd be great to shine a light on your achievement, really. Sort of opportunities I've had have, have been really, well, quite a diverse and a bit obscure at times. So I was doing the development stuff, with, obviously with the union, and, and sort of that was my main role with, with the WIU. And sort of had some opportunities to do some stuff with the sevens, sort of on a voluntary basis, really, is helping out with the development guys and, and with the development team in and out of just when the Rugby Europe tournaments were on and, and sort of had that experience. And then started getting some opportunities with Samurai, um, invitational team with, with Terry Sands. So did some tournaments with those guys. And then it sort of got to a point where it started to become a bit of a clash and that daytime job of the development work and the sort of performance stuff then was starting to more and more opportunities were coming as, as time went on. And it was sort of a, a decision to make really around where I wanted my career to go and, and what I wanted to do longer term. And I've always wanted to coach and always sort of made a decision to leave three years ago now, I think. I just started doing some work with Poland at the time then, just coming in for camps to help out with the national team to do some line-out work with them and some defence and that sort of escalated quite quickly then. And, and so they asked me to do some more and more and, and asked me to look at some of their development structures and start to be involved with some of the sevens and built up a, a job really with them. And then an opportunity came up with Germany then. So the head coach role came up with Germany sevens. But Damien McGrath got that as a head coach there, but they had a, a different role as a, the head coach of the high performance center in Hanover. Within a week, I was moving to Germany and everything was done so and then obviously within that time period COVID has come in and as has affected everybody really with their programs and, and different bits in the meantime my son was born so that program was quite quiet at the time and, and we sort of just took it along day to day and an opportunity came up then as a, the head coach role with Poland was advertised and obviously previously being involved with Poland and, and knowing sort of the environment there and the potential that could be built upon and, and developed in, in the country was something that really attracted me to the role. And so I applied for that and obviously got it. And uh, it's just a new challenge for me, obviously, as, as a head coach now and, and being in, in that environment and coming back into 15s after predominantly of, of sevens have brought in some new challenges for me and his exciting opportunities of, of sort of developing a program there. So a bit up and down. Since <laughs> yeah. But no, it's been, it's been good and it's been great for me to sort of get those experiences as well. And for me, there's nothing I would change. And it's been sort of a journey of so far of, of taking opportunities where they are and learning off people as, as I go, really. So Poland and Germany are sort of quite, in terms of the rugby world, like outposts, aren't they? The Poland opportunity came up with Johnny Ebbs, coach development, was at the World Rugby Conference, basically. And he's having a conversation with the, the old head coach of Poland at the time, Dwayne Lindsay, who had a conversation with him and said, do you know anybody who'd be interested in coming and, and doing some work? And he sort of had a message at 11 o'clock at night saying, how would you fancy going to Poland to do some work? And I was like, OK, all right, well, I'll chat to you about it in the morning and sort of go from there. But... 
everything sort of snowballed from there. And for me, I think my background of coaching is sort of I've worked from three-year-olds all the way up in senior international. So I've had yeah. a good sort of background of, of dealing with different experiences and, and sort of they're good to pull on at times and, and help with my coaching. So Tell me about Poland then. I guess this is complicated by COVID, but you know who are they playing on a regular basis in, in normal times? We've got a championship, which is Georgia, Romania, and those teams are in there. And then we play in the trophy, which sits below. So we can get promoted out of the trophy into the championship. So there's a, a relegation promotion every year with obviously the bottom of the championship and top of trophy. So predominantly over the past three years, it's always been Holland that have been, the Netherlands that have been in that position to get promoted, but just don't win the playoff basically. So it's a straight shootout to get promoted in a one-off go through. So Portugal have gone up last year. Their development of their team has been really good and they've played some really nice rugby this year in, in that championship and have sort of really embedded themselves in the championship. And something for us of going forward is looking at developing our player base and working towards that. And it's not quick fixes. It's not it's going to happen this year and, and it's sort of going in with no empty promises. And, and the league now within Poland domestically is improving. They've just got onto the main sort of sports channel out there, uh, TVR, which they, they just signed a deal with. So they're either games that be either being streamed online or they're being made sort of more available. But sort of your predominantly your sports area, your handballs, your footballs, rugby isn't on that sort of mainstream sport. So it's it's building that sort of player base and player pathways of, of guys coming through. But also they've got a big pull on sort of foreign international players as well. So there's a couple of guys playing France, there's a couple of guys who play in England, a couple of guys from Wales. It's just bringing those guys in with the experience, but also developing domestically then the guys that are in uh, Poland. And you can always sort of bring players in, and especially at that level where it's, you bring in a, a better player or a player that plays at quite a high level, they can shine quite a lot and it can mask quite a lot of the problems then or, or, or issues within your, your player depth charts and the trophy this year has been cancelled for us because there was a backlog from last year and they couldn't get things sorted and we'll kick back off now 21-22 season the domestic league is carrying on there hopefully be able to get over there soon and, and see some games live and, and do some camps with some of the younger guys as well so yeah. are there any um Polish players playing at sort of what I would describe as topish level in Europe at the moment? There's some. The issue is, is we never cap them because it's such that jump now and, and with the international pool of players that you can have playing in England and those types of things, it basically messes up their contracts. So if they, if they get capped, they're then classed as a foreign player. There's a guy who who we've got who looks at all foreign players and, and where they're based and, and different bits of sort of setting up a, a bit of a map and just literally just trolls through looking for Polish names and they stick out. There's a couple of guys playing National One and currently a guy playing for Pontypool. David Rubusniak plays for Ebervale. They're great guys. Like the level that, that we're at and, and that we're playing in at the moment, David's played against Netherlands this year that just passed. And his work at the breakdown, they lost the game seven six. But they basically he had 13, 15 penalties at a breakdown. At that level, 
they stand out then. So the guys like that coming in are really valuable. It's just finding those guys. If they do come and get capped, it's not going to affect the professional contracts. And when we do make that jump up to the championship, that'll open up a lot more doors. And I understand it from a player's point of view. If like guys want to play, it's, it's sort of getting out those guys in that band below of semi-professional, moving down from that environment and, and sort of going from there. It's totally understandable why you want to develop like the pathway and whatever in Poland, but not just Poland. That's a real problem for tier two and three countries, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it is. And it's just something that I don't see it changing. I don't see anything really moving from it. And I understand it from a club perspective of if you make exceptions to it, people will always look at how they can exploit it. And, and there's a good core of younger players coming through, especially from a club in Krakow. So they've really worked on their development structures and are really stuck by the, the youngsters coming through. And, and they went to... Dubai Sevens last year and got to the, the final there, played really well there. So there's some good youngsters coming through. The academy program's not there, so we're the majority of youngsters in Wales. They go into an academy, they go in looking like a teenager, they come out two or three years later, full-grown man, and they've had that development and support and sort of expertise and nutrition around them to develop physically. And that's developing and it's getting better but it's something that's not quite there as a because it's not a professional league it's not seen as a career path and something to really pursue and they're looking to professionalize the league in, in sort of a year two years and what that looks like and how that will be seen is still being discussed and how sort of what that support will look like but everything that is happening in Poland from a rugby perspective is in a positive way and, and to get better outcomes from it and, and to develop the, the game in Poland. And, and that's a part of the draw, that exciting part for me of, of looking at developing, enhance the game within Poland to develop that national team longer term then as well. And What are some of the logistics behind this? Obviously with COVID and stuff, you're obviously still in Wales at the moment. Are you going to be moving to Poland? I mean, how does it work? I'll travel back and forth. We play in the five games a year. Guys are not professional. They're not training week in, week out. So it's it's a very much a camp basis. So the guys come in, week camp leading into it, play on a weekend and that's it. And it's, we hold a couple of camps around the year and, and sort of have those opportunities to, to get a squad together. But a lot of the work of the planning, the logistics, the organisation, game reviews, everything else can all be done remotely now because everything is being filmed and that professionalism side of things is being developed in the country as well. The other thing is the language. How's that going to work? So we're part of the coaching staff. There'll be Polish coaches who can speak English as well and, and they help translate. Squad-wise, you're looking at 60% can understand English. Oh, that's um, pretty good. Yeah, so it's spoken to the captain last week around how we're going to do that and, and the best way to sort of make sure that messages and that translation doesn't become a, a factor of performance and for me is a challenge of working with different cultures and i've had sort of three four years experience of doing that now and it's just sort of something that just comes a bit more naturally really so two contrasting stories of welshmen helping to develop rugby in other countries plenty more next week of course in the welsh rugby union podcast but until then goodbye 
and stay safe.